Chances are you've never heard of the group Be The Bridge. You've probably never heard the story of College Hill. I hadn't either until the Be The Bridge Southeast region asked me to create a podcast about the College Hill community right here in Cleveland, Tennessee. Be The Bridge is a group of people who come together to discuss and work through some of the topics we tend to avoid when it comes to race, racism, and racial reconciliation. I'm sure this story is similar to stories all across America. You see, I'm here trying to figure it all out. I'm looking at a country that's greatly divided. I want to be involved, but I don't always know how. This is the way that Be The Bridge approaches things to help people like me understand. So when they came to me and my company and asked us to produce a podcast, which is something we do all the time for other people, I had no idea just how far this would go. But over a year of interviewing people in the College Hill community, I really began to learn about the nuances of the racial conversation in America between the white majority and the minorities that live here. And over that year, I found myself profoundly changed. From Be The Bridge and the Alderman Group, this is College Hill. Where'd you come from? I'm actually born and raised right here in Cleveland, Tennessee. Born and raised right here? Yeah. And so at that time, the schools were segregated? Oh, yeah. They were segregated all the way to 1966. And they uh, and they bust the kids in? When they started busting the kids in, that's when College Hill burned down, mysteriously. I'm sitting across from Vice Mayor Avery Johnson at the College Hill Rec Center which used to be the College Hill Elementary School, which he went to when it burned down. Wait, not when it burned down, when it was burned down. There's a big difference. It's a strange feeling sitting across from a man who's accomplished so much in the face of so much hate. And I guess that's why I'm here, to feel every feeling. Nobody ever burned my school down. I've never been the subject of blistering racism or hatred. All in all, things have been pretty easy for me. So I guess the best thing I could do now is just listen. Do you remember what grade you're in then? Oh, I had graduated. You graduated. High school, I graduated in 1960. And it was six years later. Six, yeah. 66 is when it burned down. Six years later. How far is the school from here? Is this the school now? This is, this, this is where it was located. Uh, right here. Um, on this site. Tell me, can you tell me about school when you were when it was a school? Oh, it was a great school. Great teachers. Some of the most qualified teachers in the whole city system because they were all certified teachers at College Hill School. But they were, were great your teachers. People. Were your teachers black? Were they white? They were, they were they all both? black. They were, so all the teachers were black. The teachers yeah, were. But it didn't start that way. Back in 1883, it started out. They had a white principal. Okay. You know, I did some research on all of that and know who the principal were and everything. I don't think I have that document with me. But it was a fellow that lost his leg in the Civil War. His name okay. was Andrew somebody. I got it. Okay. And he was the one that started hiring black teachers 
and he had one or two black teachers, mm -hmm. maybe three or four, yeah, when it first started in 1883. Think about that. Maybe three or four black teachers and no black principals. In another episode, I'm going to actually talk to the very first black principal here in Bradley County who happened to be at College Hill. But that's another story for another time. For now, we'll get back to Avery and the teachers and the people who meant so much to him in his life. When you think, when you think about the school, like your time at the school, right? Because where we're sitting was the school. Like, uh, yes. You know, when you think about your time there, is those what, what mem fond memories, good times at school? Well, great memories, great school. Who's your favorite teacher? My favorite teacher would have been McCutcheon and Inez Gratton. Inez Gratton was a history teacher and a social study teacher, and Ben McCutcheon was a help in physical education. Tell me about Inez. Inez Gratton, actually. Well, what? Tell me about her. Well, she's a great history teacher. She knew history, and she taught us all about history, but she was also uh, much more than that. She was really, she was the ultimate teacher. When I first came to school, uh, my name was spelled Aubrey, A-R-V-R-Y, and uh, she told me I was spelling it wrong after I'd done been in her class, and I, I've had that name for about, you know, several, about 10 years, really. And she said, you're she spelling was, your name wrong? Yeah, she said, I'm spelling it wrong, and I said, well, how should I spell it, Miss Gratton? And she wrote it down, and I said, okay, I'll take it home, and I took it home to my mom. My mom said, okay, we'll change it, and she named me Avery. Huh. That's how I got my name, was Inez Gratton. Over the last few months, as I've been doing this podcast, one thing I've noticed is the way that within the black community, especially here in College Hill, the teachers were just absolutely revered. They were simply a part of what made you you, helping you make good decisions, helping you get further in life. And it seemed like something I really took for granted. I mean, sure, I had some teachers that I loved, I can still think back to the best teachers I ever had. But there's a reverence in the way that so many of the people at College Hill speak about their teachers. It's made me actually want to go back and write a letter to a few of mine. Um, so tell me a little bit about, about College Hill in general. So in terms of how did you feel like um, the school and the community were together you know like how did the school affect the lives of the people in the in the community oh it impacted the people in the community i went back and did the a chronological history of all the teachers and all the principals that they had here and there was another black school that came in but it was in the county at the same time college hill was here and they had a professor at the other black school by the name of william cates i believe he was there but anyway, they began to do real good. So College Hill organized what they call a glee club and all of it. I got pictures of them in long gowns standing in front uh -huh. of the school. And I've got all kind of historical documents of College Hill. But College Hill, and the, they were very much connected to the community. What was the black, what was like the black, black community like here then? Uh, the black community here was pretty well stressed. I mean, you know, it was... People didn't have good jobs. They, that, families were just struggling. But 
we all knew that one day it was going to change. What were the jobs? What were the jobs? Then? Well, the jobs were like uh, cook in a restaurant, dishwashers in a restaurant, washing cars and uh, places downtown, car lots and stuff like that. Very few people worked for the railroad. I remember one black gentleman in our town that worked for the railroad. That was Mr. Sam Bacon. Sam Bacon? Yeah, Sam Bacon. Tell me about, did you know Sam? I knew him real well. The first house I rented after I got married was from him. Tell me about... Well, he had uh, several daughters, but most of them were teachers. He was a very aggressive, progressive type individual. Very, very respectable person. Mr. Sam Bacon. And he worked at the railroad, but He worked at the railroad. No, nobody else that I knew of at that time worked at the railroad. Okay. Yeah. Tell me, so, I guess, I'm trying to think of the right way to, right way to phrase it. You know, we've been saying a lot as we've been preparing for this podcast, you know, Mm -hmm. this idea, like, you you don't know what you don't know, Mm -hmm. right? So, I grew up the son of a steel mill worker, Mm -hmm. you know, where I grew up just outside of Chicago, I was what you would consider to be lower middle class right so we weren't i wouldn't say that we were lower class but we you know we recycled bottles for the actual money we didn't we didn't do it because we because we wanted to you know that kind of a thing we ate chicken five out of seven nights you know and so as we've been one of the things that i guess has like been striking me in my life where i'm at right now why part of why we're having this conversation not all of why but it's like the one th- so so working hard trying to be me right mm-hmm. i never so i i worked as a dishwasher right mm-hmm. but not because it was the only job i could get boy as i sit here in the studio and i listen to this part it was so hard um to hear me stumbling over the words and not knowing how to talk to this man about his life. And I guess I think that's like a huge part of the problem right now, maybe in America or in society. It's not that we don't want to talk, so we don't know how. And so we, maybe we don't just because we don't know how or because we're afraid of what might happen. You know, there's a lot in my own culture about wanting to know the answers and about wanting to know what to say and knowing what outcomes will be. That's like kind of part of like regular white entrepreneurial life. And I'm always stressing to the people who I work with and, uh, you know, know the answer, figure it out, have an answer. And so when I find myself in a conversation where I don't know the answer, I really struggle. And I was really struck by the vice mayor's grace and his uh, kindness towards me in a way that I guess only a member of the black community could have while I fumbled and stumbled because I didn't really know where to go. Right. I understand. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so like I can only I can only feel like it would be like so frustrating mm-hmm. 
to feel like I couldn't do something else, mm-hmm. right? Like our, our options, when our options get limited, yeah. right? We feel like we're closed in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, what well, did it feel? What Were yeah, you I mean, mad? Were you angry? Were, were people angry? No. And I guess this is a thing right here, this moment, that's so hard for me to believe or to understand. Because, like, when I get limited in life, I get so mad. I feel like there's nothing that I can't do or that I shouldn't be allowed to do. Like, it's my right to, like, work hard and fail or succeed at anything I want. Yet here was Avery Johnson telling me he wasn't even angry. This was just a part of his life. It was so hard to digest or to know what to do with. It's like I wanted to be angry for him, but there just wasn't even any any anger there. He was looking me in the face, so peaceful and so calm, and simply saying he wasn't mad. Okay, tell me. We were disappointed, but we knew the system. We knew how people were back then. And we knew what to expect because the school, this school here, prepared us for all of that. Tell me about. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, they 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 prepared. They told us. you like they, it. What you mean by said, telling you like it was like by saying this is the world? Well, we pretty well knew what the world was. I mean, from the youngest on up, we knew what was going on in the world, and we watched Alabama, Mississippi. We watched all kind of mess, tragedies, hangings, everything. My family moved here from Hollywood, Alabama in 1938. Was, that, was it scary? It was kind of scary, but I wasn't I wasn't born then. But they moved here, my mother. And uh, my grandmother opened up a restaurant on Inman Street called the Ever Ready Cafe. Called the what? Ever Ready Cafe. Ever Ready Cafe. Ever Ready Cafe. But she had eight kids and her husband had died on the farm in Alabama. So she moved to Cleveland, and during that particular time, in 1936, between 36 and 38, there were actually 42 black women that moved to Cleveland, Tennessee, because they were getting away from all the violence in Alabama, Mississippi, and different places, you know. But uh, we knew what was going on. As students in school, teachers told you everything. You know, we, we were very informed about what was going on, but we were also told that we need to study hard, we need to work hard, we need to be ready because things are going, they are going to change. And when they change, we need to be ready for those opportunities. So they did more than just teaching you the book. They taught you how to act, what to say, what not to say, you know, everywhere you went. So we, there was nothing missing in my life when I was being taught. Really. Well, when you were when you were a kid, when you were a kid, when you were here in the in the school, right? You, mm-hmm. if the best job you knew was Mr. Bacon and he worked at the railroad, mm-hmm. there was no way that you were thinking you would be the mayor. Oh well, I didn't think I would be the mayor, vice mayor, or a city councilman, or anything like. There were some things that happened in my life that really prepared me. For Will that. you tell me about that? Tell me about your career path. Well, uh, when I was in school, I ran for president of student council. I had no idea, but that's my first experience in having to politic a little bit. And I was uh, actually a sophomore at College Hill, 
and I was running against a guy that was a senior at College Hill. And I ran against me and I won, I beat him. But then when I got in real life and running for politics uh, for the vice mayor, or I was really running for just the city council. But it was a long process because I served on what they called the Charter Study Commission two years before they actually got me and asked me to serve on the city council. But everything that I experienced, there was a lot of things that happened to me that I'd had no idea what was really going on, but they contributed to who I am now. You know, I had one school teacher who asked me, his name was uh, Roy Spencer. He was my shop teacher, taught us trade and industry and all that stuff. And so he asked me one day, he said, Avery, how many inches are in a yardstick? I said, 36. He said, well, that's right. He said, but remember, for you, it's going to be 48. So you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to be an overachiever if you really want to succeed in life. For you, it's going to be 48. I've thought about those words a lot and how I'd feel if they were said to me, what it would be like to be stuck in that dynamic where I had to do everything better than someone else just to achieve the same result. And uh, that stuck with me all the way through, even when I got my first job at Whirlpool Magic Chef. It was Maytag Dixie products back then, but I always excelled from what was expected. What did you do at Maytag? Well, I started out there washing trucks, but when I left there, I was running the whole shipping department. I had a That's better than I ever did. I worked it. I worked there. Yeah, I worked in their customer service department for oh, okay. like a year. Okay. There, I, I imagine it was a very different place by the time I got there. Oh, uh, it was. Not the same it place was. where you, where mean, you were at. You know, when I went to work there, they had separate water fountains, colored white, restrooms, everything, and uh, but it was a very exceptional place because they had people there that were wanting change, management wanting change. The owners of the company wanted change, you know, mm -hmm. and so I was ready for just about anything they put me in, and I did excel in a lot of stuff. That's a whole, whole nother chapter of how I got through, but I actually went to work in HR for about five years out of my, I worked out 43 years and eight months, but I was a supervisor 33 and then manager mm -hmm. about 33 of those years. Uh, the first 10 years, I was just doing first line work different places. They just kept moving me around. So there I was, sitting here, listening to this guy who's done so much in his life and knowing that he had to work twice as hard to get it, thinking about the dynamics he'd been in, thinking about the way he'd lived his life. But I still didn't necessarily feel like we'd been getting to the harder subjects, like the stuff that people don't talk about, the pieces of race that are like almost impossible to talk about. So I figured I'd just dive right in and ask the question. Tell me about, tell me a little bit about when um, College Hill burned down. Okay. And how that felt, I guess, to oh, you, and then what it, how it felt to the community. Yeah, it was traumatic to the community. But, you know, when we look back on the situation, we all pretty well knew because it was happening everywhere, all over the south, uh, schools were burnt down. And this school here, College Hill, actually burnt down the first time in 1924. It used to be a wooden frame building. And so it had, burned, it had burned before? Yeah, it burned. The first time it burned was in 1924. They were building a new College Hill 
from 1883. And then in 1924, they were building a new college hill. And they had got it all wooden framed, just like what we see of the original college hill in brick. They had got it all framed up and somebody set it on fire and burned it down in 1924. And then they come back and rebuild it and finished it in 1925 and brick veneered it, trying to protect it. So that would have been obviously before, that was before uh, white people were going to it. Start to 1966, and they still burn it down. Yeah, they burned it down in 24. Then they burned it down again in 1966. Was anybody ever convicted or being prosecuted or anything? No, no. Now don't ask me if I know who did it. (laughs) Do you know who did it? So even though I know about the issues with race in American society back then is still almost baffling to me to be sitting across from someone explaining to me how his school was burned down not once but twice by people who lived in the same neighborhood just because they didn't want their white kids to go to school with black kids. No, I mean, but this, I mean, this, I'm gonna ask. Rumors. I'm gonna ask if you know. Yeah, but it's rumors. But you know, well, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't say. But it was just rumors. We pretty well. Were there people who people who said they wanted to do it? Is that it? Like publicly, were saying they wanted to. Do it? Uh, no, no, they didn't say nothing. They're just happy when it was they, over. They happened to have kids, and they happened to live in this neighborhood. Sure. Around, and they didn't want their kids bust the college hill. We're going to stop there for now, not because the vice mayor didn't have a lot more to say, but actually because he had so much to say, I thought it might be better to turn this into two episodes. When we come back, we're going to talk to Vice Mayor Avery Johnson more about College Hill, the would-be expansion of Inman Street, and its effects on the black entrepreneurial community. From Be the Bridge and the Alderman Group, This is College Hill.